What's up, everyone, and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is Wednesday, November 29, 2023. As always, I am PK alongside my co-host, Phil. Phil, for the last time, this is our final Wednesday show until next June. How does it feel? And I know I asked this like a month ago, but next week is real. How does it feel to be ready to get back to two shows a week? I think it's great because it means that the bandit season is finally kicking off and we've been we've been waiting a while. Uh summer ish is as long as we've been waiting, but I know uh two episodes is a lot for us. Um, but I am excited to not only have the bandits finally fully going and exciting to talk about previews and how the game went, game reactions and everything, but also to not have to talk about 19 Sabres games all at once that are a week old will be, uh, it'll be nice. It'll be nice. We can be a little bit more current with what the Sabres are doing, even though after that last game, I don't know if we really want to be all that current with them. Yeah, I think since we made that switch over to a majority Buffalo Bandit show where we made it known that Hey, anything that's happening with the bandits throughout the entire offseason, we're going to keep covering them. They're going to be our main segment of this show. We're still going to cover the other teams, but the bandits are going to be the main one. Uh, we've gone to one show a week because, you know, offseason, there's not a ton of stuff going on in the NLL. And that meant, you know, like you mentioned, trying to catch up on the Sabres and the Bills all in one show. So it was nice to have that one show a week where, like, we record every Monday night, get it done. And then, you know, I edit on Tuesday and it's out on Wednesday. And then you can kind of forget about recording for a week. And now uh, Sunday nights we're going to be recording. Thursday nights we're going to be recording. It's going to be weird to get back into the groove after six months off. But like you said, I'm I'm excited for it. I'm ready for it. And if you guys out there are ready for it too, you can let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X or Blue Sky or why not both at Buffalo Sports Co. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at buffalosportscollective.com and look for the time breakdowns in the description of the show. Phil, I don't know where you watch this game, but uh, the Bills, once again, lost in a shocking fashion. And I shouldn't even say shocking anymore because it's uh, common, common practice now. Uh, they lost to Philly in the 425 window, 37-34 to 34 in overtime. I don't know if you want to start with the negatives or the positives. Uh, there's plenty of both. So I'm going to let you steer the ship wherever you want it to guide, and I know it's going to hit an iceberg anyways, but it'll be a nice coast down in the frigid water. Yeah, um, it's tough. It's it's a tough one to have to talk about because they lost, but I mean, like my mentality for this game, which is a mentality you can't really have, but it's just, it all depends on where the Bills are in their season, and sadly, they are 6-6 six and six fighting for their lives, but like I told you off podcast, if this team was nine and three after that game, eight and four after that game, you come out of that game as a potential Super Bowl preview. You know, you just lose in overtime to arguably the best team in the entire league. You're feeling pretty good about a fun game that you should have won, could have won, had plenty of opportunities to win, and you're feeling okay. But because they're six and six, fighting for their playoff lives and hopes and trying to even make the postseason, I feel like the game just is under a extremely fine microscope and is just that much more critical, I guess. So, I mean, I guess we can start negative. I think this team had every opportunity to win this game, which makes it all the more frustrating that they didn't. But, I mean, it starts right away very early on. I'm not saying that these players necessarily had bad games, but, I mean, Cook 
missed that wide open touchdown to start the game and that turned into what just a field goal so that right there you're missing points Davis the touchdown in overtime that should have ended it Bass with the block field goal the missed field goal Allen's interception that led to points for the Eagles I mean there's just there were a ton of opportunities and ways that the Bills could have won this game and it was just depressing to see them not come away with it because I think overall given what this team is given what this defense is and what we kind of expected out of this game I think for the most part even though it was a kind of must-win game I would assume most Bills fans kind of expected to lose this you're going away to Philadelphia a eight and one team at the time looking really really good and it would have been a just really difficult game to come away with a victory but to get that close and to lose in the fashion that they did was just about as disheartening as it could possibly be. Yeah, our foster dog right now, Reed, is going nuts. So if you hear barking in the background, <laughs> that's what it is. And he's charging also and upset. running at my door right now. I don't know why Brooke can't control these dogs. But oh, right now, I, it, it's the, 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 there. you hit the nail on the head. There was plenty of opportunities for the Buffalo Bills to capitalize here. They missed plenty of opportunities. I mean, Kincaid had a drop. Diggs had a drop. You were talking about the James Cook drop. There was a surefire touchdown, and I don't know why Sherfield's getting snaps at all. Oh I know, gosh, he, you know he was terrible. There was two plays where he just ran the wrong route, and it, you're not making a good impression to get more snaps on the team. I mean, Deontay Hardy was a healthy snap, a healthy scratch in favor of Sherfield, and Sherfield ran two different routes and wasn't paying attention either time. So it, it's. <laughs> It's it's those small in a game of this magnitude against a team like Philadelphia, you can have mistake after mistake after mistake. And I guess that's one of the positives is even after all these mistakes, you still had an opportunity at the end to win. They shot themselves in the foot by the penalties. And if you want to criticize the refs, yes, the refs were. And I am you even pointed out in our group chat. The I am the last one to ever criticize the refs or blame the refs. They were terrible. That was one of the worst ref games I've ever seen in my entire life. They were horrible. But the refs weren't the reason that they lost this game. Buffalo shot themselves in the foot multiple times. How many times can you see Jordan Phillips make the same stupid play doing extracurricular activities to get the team punished? It can't happen. And you're you, Sean McDermott always preaches that the culture and the leadership in the locker room is top-notch, top-priority. Why isn't somebody pulling Phillips aside and going, knock this crap off? It's right. It can't happen. You're hurting our team. And it's it happens week after week after week after week. It's just, it's 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 mind-numbing. And again, I, I'm with you. I'm with the rest of the audience where it was, hey, I don't think they're beating Philly. But when you're in a game like that, when you're up 17-7 to at halftime, you had a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter and you let it evaporate. I can't, and, and we've been saying it, on this show for a long time now. I can't blame the defense. The game the other day, the defense has to take a lot of accountability for what happened because once again, the offense gave them the lead and, you know, Philly marched right down the field and scored a uh, tying field goal. Yes, it was a long field goal, but you still let them march right down the field, tie it up. And then in overtime, Buffalo goes down there, scores the field goal, Probably should have been a touchdown, but Davis and Allen, whatever reason, they have a bad connection on that one. March right down the field, score a touchdown. It's, it's, if you're going to give the defense credit where credit is due, you need to give them, you know, criticism when criticism is due and it's due in this game. Yeah. And I think that idea, I mean, we can kind of 
switch this focus to coaching at this point. I mean, Jake Elliott, by the way, just a uh, ridiculous field goal kicker. The dude, the dude's in sight. Um, frustratingly, he's on the wrong team, but he's incredible at what he does. But as far as coaching goes, I mean, you look at the box score, you got seven points for Philly. I mean, 14 points through three quarters. So overall, at that point, the Bills defense was doing okay. They were holding up, but then toward the end of the third when they scored, and then the fourth quarter, they put up 17 points. The defense was just worn out. They were beat down. They just started to really, and the drives Philly was scoring, they were not long sustained multiple third down drives. They were, I think they had a six play scoring drive and a, a seven, seven play, play scoring drive. Seven play, 75 yards in three minutes, and then a yeah, three just, play on the turnover, 24 yards, 139. They were hauling. I mean, that's what was arguably the scariest thing when they scored, they were doing it so incredibly fast that they weren't long drawn out. Like your defense is still holding up at their making that critical play that they need to on third down or, you know, second down, they were just moving down the field with ease. And then as far as coaching goes, when you get into overtime and your team, you know that your defense is looking like that. I know they made a very big fourth quarter stand to get the bills, the opportunity to score that touchdown really late held. I think it was what three and out that they let Philly get after Philly was just kind of marching down the field. So they had proven they could stop them in the fourth, but they weren't looking good by that point in the game. And to me with, Josh Allen and McDermott together being now 0-6 in overtime. I think I would have had the mentality of as soon as we got the ball first, I would have been 100% touchdown only, end the game, do not allow Philly to get the ball back because, I don't know, I mean, exactly what happened is kind of what you saw happening if they got the ball back because your defense was just beat and they just were not going to be able to continue to hold this talented of an offense down. And you could see that in the fourth quarter, they were just getting worn out. So, I mean, to me, the entire mentality in overtime should have been touchdown or bust. I know you obviously want the field goal and take the points if you need to, but I think they should have had a four down territory mentality the whole time. Like even on that third down play where it was kind of third and long where Gabe Davis missed it. I mean, yes, it could have been a touchdown, but I think they should have been going for a short yardage play to set them up for fourth and short and trying to get a first down and continue marching down the field because you needed a touchdown in overtime to win. And I, I am surprised that they didn't have the same feeling that they were kind of okay settling for a field goal and putting the ball back in Philadelphia's hands and allowing them to come at your defense and say, you know, try to stop them because the defense just looked like they were not going to be able to do that at that point in the game. Yeah, I mean, far too long this team has been in the mindset of not go out and win games. It's don't go out and lose games. And you can't win and go places that you want to go with that mindset. And I I looked this up and I did all the math. So I hope it's all right. In one score games, the last three years, this team is nine and 15 in three point games. In the last three years, the team is four and seven. They are not a good team. And I know some of those, it varies every once in a while. I mean, the seven years under McDermott, they're 28 and 28 in in, um, one score games and nine and nine in three point games in the seven years to Sean McDermott. So those numbers do fluctuate. But even even in those seven years, 500. Right. He's still 500. And in the last three years, he's under 500. It's it's those situations where I think we're just – the team is – I hate using the we. I apologize. It's it's when the team is just coming up short. And 
This is this loss can also be pinned directly on Sean McDermott. And I know the talk around town this week has been Sean McDermott's on the hot seat. I don't think he's on the hot seat. Do I think he should be on the hot seat? Heck yes. There's been too many of these losses that stack up that just don't add up to a a a team that is destined to win a Super Bowl. And I, I've said this multiple times on this show now. When he signed that contract extension, I was like, okay. I just don't understand what what the timing is. I mean, no coach currently in the NFL has as long of a tenure as him without a Super Bowl. Everybody else who has been in the same organization as long or longer than him has a Super Bowl. He doesn't. And it's it's coming back to 13 seconds. That might be the closest you're ever going to get to a Super Bowl. But he, when Leslie Frazier, that whole situation, he left. Sean McDermott could have hired a def- defensive coordinator. He said, I can do this. Now, I, I there have been times where he has gotten his defense to step up this season, but we knew coming down the stretch that you had Philly, you have Kansas City, you have Dallas, you have the Chargers, you have Miami again, that the defense is going to get tested. And what can Sean McDermott do with a team and a, a defense that isn't the high power defense that you've had in years past where you had a top five defense over and over and over. He's got a middle of the pack defense right now. You replace Tredavious White with somebody that might be just as good as as himself in Rasheel Douglas. You replace Daquan Jones with somebody who is worse in Joseph. The only person you didn't really replace is Matt Milano. He's not able to be replaced. But really looking at this defense right now, they should be better than they were it really, in the end, the defense can be blamed for two games, this one in Philly and the, and the New England one. So I, I'm not going to harp on the defense over and over and over, but this is a Sean McDermott defense and the the play, the, the, the callings and, and the questionable decisions that he made, especially in the final two minutes, uh, Phil, I don't understand, even, even in video games, why would you do this? Where did this icing the kicker come from? Like, I, I've seen multiple people saying this. Why would you give the kicker, like, another minute to strategize and, and test the wind and, and prepare himself? Why would you give him that extra time? You're not icing these kickers. They have ice in their veins. Like, you just blew a timeout. And then instead of going for it, huh, remember Thanksgiving last year in Detroit where, you know, there was, what, 25 seconds left? And he fired that missile to Stefan Diggs? 20 seconds left, one timeout. Could have had two timeouts, but he decided to ice the kicker. Where again, it's it's that same situation. And he said in the press conference on Monday, you were playing not to lose. He didn't say those exact words, but the way he said it, you were playing not to lose. He said you just saw their kicker hit a 59-yarder perfectly. I mean, what are the chances he's going to be able to do that again? What are the chances? It's showing that you did not trust your quarterback. You do not trust your offense. You do not trust your offensive coordinator. You trust your defense more. And we saw exactly what just happened at the end of the fourth quarter and in the overtime. What happens when you have to trust your defense? And they came up short and short again. This one, I have to put the majority of the blame on Sean McDermott. And I know there's a bunch of people out there. And I'll try to cut short after this. I know there's a bunch of people out there that are going, hey, Sean McDermott did this and Sean McDermott, you know, solidified in in the seven years they've been making playoffs and they made it to the AFC championship and stuff like that. And I said it in the offseason. I am afraid that this organization, this fan base might be okay with just good enough and that they're going to get complacent because of what they saw in the 17 years before Sean McDermott, just because he has been very good, doesn't mean you can't get better. 
Like that, that's my main thing here is you can't be afraid of somebody who might be a downgrade, somebody who might, you can't be afraid that you might not know who's coming after Sean McDermott. If Sean McDermott's not getting the job done, you have to move on. And I'm not saying it's time to move on, but the numbers and everything is adding up that I don't think this is the coach that can put them over the edge. And again, the, the game in Philly is not the only reason for it. There's past seven years of history and uh, devastating losses. Minnesota, Miami, I went over them a, a couple weeks ago, but it's just, it's all adding up to if his seat is not hot, I don't know what they're thinking. And I think they just think that, hey, this is good enough. Making playoffs every year is good enough. And maybe they're thinking, hey, if this is the floor of Sean McDermott finishing whatever we're gonna fi- they're, they're going to finish is good enough. It's not good enough for me, and it shouldn't be good enough for the fan base or the organization. Yeah, I think the big thing currently, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, McDermott's game management ability, his conservative play style, defensive play style just doesn't seem to really work for this team and does not work as you just pointed out with all your stats in clutch situations and close games. That is where he struggles and he has yet to really figure that out. And if anything, like you just mentioned over the last three seasons, he's gotten worse at close games and just does not really know how to handle them. And he's just, again, I think the biggest thing is playing too conservative. I mean, that goes along with the misuse of timeouts and like you said, I mean, just the the 20 seconds left, not going for it, not trusting your offense that has been moving really well, just had a, what, six-minute drive pretty much to score a touchdown and played really well overall throughout the entire game. One interception, which was just a great play by the defense. Outside of that, the offense looked incredible. And so just not allowing them the chance to give Tyler Bass the opportunity to win the game with 20 seconds left. And like you said, icing the kicker. I don't understand that one either. I mean, luckily to me, I was going to be really upset if they let him kick it and then call the timeout. At least I would, like right. when they did call it, I was like, all right, at least you're not giving him a free practice shot to see what he needs to adjust. Cause I hate when they do that, when they call it super late and the guy gets a free practice shot. And then, I mean, that's even more to see what he can do with the wind and how to kick it properly. I mean, I, I don't understand that part at all, but in general, you said wasting a timeout to ice the kicker, it's not going to work. I mean, that's literally what the kicker's job is to do in those clutch, crucial situations. They are very steady, and that is exactly what they're out there for. So unless it's like a rookie kicker, you're likely not going to be able to do anything with icing them. So having that extra timeout for 20 seconds left would have been big. But for me, I think his saving grace is going to be if this continues the rest of the season, I mean, we don't know how the season's going to turn out. They have a long ways to go. They pretty much need to win out, which we can get to. But to me, the saving grace right now is the fact that the offense has looked elite these last two weeks. And I think if this offense had looked like this all year, you have a lot more wins on this team right now than they currently do. And your season's looking a little bit better. And I think the scapegoat once again is going to be Dorsey because Brady has had this offense looking incredible these last two weeks. Josh looks like a whole new person. The entire offense looks really good, looks really fluid. They look confident. They look like they know what they're doing. Allen looks amazing. So, I mean, if this continues, I think the blame at the end of the season, if they don't make playoffs, whatever happens is going to be put more on Dorsey than anything. And I mean, with McDermott's ability to, be a defensive coordinator this season with the kind of struggling defense that they've had with all the injuries. And he's still been able to, like you said, I mean, defense has really only been the problem for two games. So if you take 
that mentality, and then you have the mentality of, okay, so then it was on offense's fault in these last two games. The offenses looked really, really good under a new offensive coordinator. I think at the end of the season, it's going to be on Dorsey more than anything, no matter what happens. So I think that's kind of going to be, sadly, the scapegoat of the entire season if they don't make playoffs, just because of what Brady has been able to do these last two games. I mean, Philly has an incredible defense. The Jets have an incredible defense. You just put up, what, 32 and 34 points against really, really good top five defenses in the entire league, and the team looks good doing it. So I don't know. I I think I, I do think McDermott should be on the hot seat. I do agree, and he has yet to be proven to be able to handle clutch, close games against really good teams. But I think at the end of the season, it's going to come down to Dorsey more than anything. And I think that's how McDermott's going to kind of sneak out of it at the end of the year. I 100%, I believe that's how he's going to spin it in the locker room clean out whenever that ends up happening. But I'm going to twist it on you in a second and show you how if I was the GM or the, you know, the the owner, how I could twist it. But I agree. The offense is back. Joe Brady is legit. Uh, this might him, have been one of the top five best games we've ever seen of Josh Allen, and you spoiled it. Over 400 yards that he contributed to this game, including four touchdowns. It, he it was he was disgusting. It was unbelievable. Besides that one interception, which when you have over what 90 plays they ran, and he threw it over 50 times, yards, yeah, <laughs> or 51 yeah, one, passing attempts. Sorry, right. One mistake, I can live with that. And, and again, it was a yes, heck of a play by the defense. I right. mean, it was just. It was. It wasn't like one of those Perfectly like run. way yes. overthrown bad passes that he's you know done before, like triple coverage. It was just heck of he a read by the defense, yep. heck of an interception, nice play. Hundred percent. And like I said, that amount of plays, you're going to get one mistake. And yes, it led the points, but whatever. Josh Allen was just unbelievable in this one. And those are the mistakes that I can live with because of the level of play he was playing. Joe Brady is just unbelievable. That the play all the way down the field. For that Gabe Davis touchdown, those play designs where he was just running and running and running, and then he dialed up some passes. Unbelievable. It was he's legit. Now, to twist it on you, why is the owner or the GM might not just go, okay, you had the fix in-house the whole time? Why did you have to see six more weeks of them just puttering along? Where if you would have let him go three weeks earlier or two weeks earlier, or even a week earlier, maybe you would have been able to right the ship. And the season would have ended differently. Again, we don't know how this season's going to end. There's five more games left. But still, why the GM can just twist it right back where, hey, I I fixed the offense. I made the decision and I can flip back and just go, okay, that's great. But you did it too late. Why wasn't this fixed a while ago? Because like you said, if the offense was like this all year long, they're sitting at what, 10 and 2? I mean, 9 and (laughs) 3? They'd be ridiculous. They probably would have won all those close games. We wouldn't have this argument right now where it's you're sitting at six and six, 10th in the AFC, and you're fighting. And like you said, you have to possibly win out to make playoffs. And again, it it all falls back to the head coach and his, you know, almost stubbornness not to look inward and take accountability for the past actions of, you know, years on years. Does he make that call? For what? For Dorsey. Like, is that on McDermott to let him go? Oh, yeah. It was all him. When he fired Dorsey, he said, this all came from me. Nobody else. This was my decision. Yeah. So that, I mean, (laughs) well, I mean, 
We 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 have those uh, all those analytics PK that right. say that the offense is oh the a, offense a was not the number problem. one offense yeah. by you know not not even close. It's the number one offense in the entire league has been the entire season, and they are far and away the number one offense by the whatever metrics that don't put up points on the board to help you win games. Might but, be the first ever team that's ever fired an offensive coordinator that was number one <laughs> according to all these fancy stats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I do agree. Like, it, you should have probably let him go sooner. I mean, I don't know if Dorsey was ever really the right call for this team. I don't think he was a bad offense coordinator. I mean, you and I originally, when he got let go, didn't know if he was truly the issue. I definitely don't think he was the only issue on this team. But, I mean, what Brady has been able to unlock in this offense is kind of what we've been hoping for the entire season with the amount of talented players on that side of the ball to not have an offense that can put up points like this against, again, really good defenses. They're not doing it against bad defenses in back-to-back weeks. I mean, these are top five defenses in the entire league, and you're just going toe-to-toe with them and putting up big points. It's impressive what Brady has been able to step in and really do. I mean... I know he's interim, and I know they will have some big conversations in the offseason, but right now he looks like arguably the man for the job. If he can keep this up and keep Allen looking as engaged as he is right now in this game, I think he is definitely the way to go. So we'll keep looking towards the future, and next week, uh, thank God we get a nice buy because my mm-hmm. blood pressure oh, can't handle of, these, uh, these close speaking games. Speaking of buys, I did not put this in my notes, but I did write it up. We have once again gone into a buy – under terrible circumstances. So, the last four years for buys. The in 2020, going into the buy was the Hale Murray Cardinals 32-30 loss. The Thanks next year in 2021, they went into the buy losing to Tennessee when Josh Allen slipped on fourth and inches, and they should have won that game. And then 2022, we looked good. We beat Kansas City going into the buy, and then 2023, OT crushing loss to the Eagles. So three out of the last four years headed into the bye week, we have gone through just just heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching games headed into a entire week off. And I know it like you want that week to kind of re- reset from that loss, but at the same time, it would be nice to go into one of these bye weeks and have a week of excitement and cheering and, hey, like last year where we beat Kansas City going into the bye week, that felt... Much better than, oh my gosh, we lost a horrible Bills-only kind of way to lose once again. That's how I was going to end it. Like, it's not just losses. It's the the billsiest of Bills losses, too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we don't have to deal with them next week. We get a week off. And uh, what better time to come back for a two-show week than not have to deal with the Buffalo well, Bills? I will take that it. at this point. He's into it. He's into it. So, Phil, we'll move on to our next segment, Fantasy Blitz. Last week, we both combined, because you forgot, on a, a, a player. I picked Jaden Reed, who is 31st ranked. He finished 24th. I picked the wrong Packer. Christian Watson was the one went, the one that went off. So, week 13, we're running out of weeks here, Phil. Uh, who is your Fantasy Blitz player? I'm dialing it back up to a player I picked two weeks ago. And he got injured on, uh, I believe, his first carry. But Devon A. Chain was out this week on the short week. He looked like he was going to be questionable, possibly could have played this week if their game wasn't on Black Friday. So he gets a little bit extra extended rest. He's currently ranked 28th, and I think he will be coming into this next game healthy. 
going up against a pretty terrible sold their off sold off their entire team Washington defense Dallas's running back Tony Pollard was the last to face Washington on Thanksgiving and he had his best game of the entire year for those who have been following fantasy football he has been struggling the entire season and finally put up a massive game against Washington if a chains on the field I think he can perform really well if he actually plays the entire game and doesn't get injured again Going back to the bank Going that already uh, I just, went bankrupt. I want him to do well. I've, I mean, he's not even on any of my fantasy teams, but I've uh, enjoyed. Whoa, 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 whoa! He's on your guillotine league, isn't he? Oh, he is. Yes, I just, yeah, I didn't. For now, I think I did play now. him in that week, and you he did. went down. But I survived. I mean, you're <laughs> you're now. in the league as of this recording. Yeah, I might not. When be it comes out on Wednesday, match. you might not have a head. <laughs> So I went with a different route. I went tight end. I went Pat Fryermuth. The Muth is getting Luth for those that listen to the footballers. Uh, 29th ranked tight end right now. He gets Arizona next week. Coming off a 9 for 120 game versus Cincinnati. Arizona is not very good versus the tight end. Pittsburgh has a new offense and a new offensive play caller and a new offensive coordinator. And that change looks better. They went for over 400 yards for the first time since 2022. And Fryer was very, very involved. Uh, Deontay Johnson, who I did trade for right before our trade deadline, looks like he just doesn't give a hoot about anything anymore. I mean, there was a, f- I don't know if you saw the video where it was a fumble by Warren, I think it was. And Johnson just looked at it while, <laughs> while uh, they, they picked up the ball and ran it the other way. So I don't know how much snap he's going to get. I don't know how much uh, they might treat him like Chase Claypool and just go, hey, we're not going to throw it to you anymore. You can be a healthy scratch. So there's not a ton of other talent out there. There's Pickens, but he's a big boomer bust type of player. They might have to rely on Fryermuth, and Arizona is not very good. Their defense is not very good whatsoever. So if you have Pat Fryermuth, who might also be on your waiver wire because he was hurt for so long, and he might not be any more because this is Wednesday, so your waiver wires went through. But if he somehow is still out there, or you did get him, put him in your starting roster and line up because uh, he's going to go off versus uh, Arizona. I, I love it. If it doesn't hit, I will be shocked and assume you are cursed. I am cursed all this year. I've Phil, I said this multiple times. In my brother's league, I lost three games to start the season. Then I won three. So I, I'm, I'm three and three. Then I lost two. But then I won two, so I'm five and five. But then I lost last week and I won this week. So I don't know what's happening in week 13. I don't know because the pattern is over. Like, I, I don't know. Am I going to end in a tie? Is it going to be a tie tie? I don't know. <laughs> It'd be really impressive for fantasy football to end in a, in a tie ever. That's I how my season's uh, been going, point. though, Phil. So it's possible. <laughs> Especially if you get back to back ties. I mean, if you could put money on that, wow. You'd be rich yeah. real quick. <laughs> yes, but a sport that got rid of all ties uh, many years ago. We will talk about the Buffalo Sabres now. How about that transition? Boom, getting good. Wednesday versus Washington. They lost 4-3 to three in overtime. I was leaving soccer, and I went, huh, they're up 3-2. to two. I bet you they, uh, Washington comes back and scores in the last minute, and then they lose in overtime. It wasn't the last minute, Phil. Uh, they lost in the last two minutes in uh, the third period when Washington scored. Paterka, Benson, and Cousins scored in this one. Levi, 26 of 30 saves. Shots were 30-27 to 27 in favor of Washington. Then Friday, Pittsburgh, they won 3-2. to two. Skinner, Oposo, and Tuck were the goal scorers. UPL, 31 of 33 saves. Shots were 34-33 to 33 in favor of the Sabres. And then Saturday, 
Gross. Didn't want to watch it. Had to watch it for this. They lost 7-2. to Skinner and Oposo were the only goal scorers. Comrie made 14 of 18 saves before he was pulled after one. Levi, 17 of 20 saves. Shots were, ready for this, 38-12. to They were almost outscored. New Jersey almost had as many goals as Buffalo did shots. Phil, where do you want to go with this? Because uh, that game was gross. Yeah, I kind of want to skip the Devils game. They... I mean, we can we can talk about it super quick. They looked awful. They looked. I mean, the twelve shots is all you need to really look at for that entire game. I know it's not even like the defense. I felt so bad for the goalies watching that game. The defense just completely gave up the entire game. It's not even the amount of shots. It was the quality opportunities that they had. Pretty much every single goal was not the goalie's fault. Maybe one of them. Out of all of the goals that went in, were really on yeah, the goalie. Yeah, sixth or seventh on Levi. Yeah, I, was yeah. Say, I think one it was. was I think it was one, number yeah. seven on Levi. He probably should have had. Outside of that, none of the goals were on their fault. The defense looked just terrible. The whole team looked like they were sleeping. It looked like a high school team versus a pro team, and they just did not look like they were ready to play, want to play. I mean, I understand that they played back to back, and I understand maybe coming out a little flat, possibly, but. How through the second and third period do you not turn it up a little bit at some point? They looked terrible the entire game. The Devils just absolutely took it to them. It was the first time, what was it, the Devils scored for the first time in seven games in the first period. And again, it's just one of those kind of Buffalo stats that it happens against Buffalo. And the Devils were looking terrible in the first period for pretty much the entire season. And they started this one for nothing against the Sabres. Just looked I don't know. I'm already done talking about that game. I mean, the big thing, big couple things that I saw through all three games, some, I mean, the Devils and, or sorry, Capitals and Penguins game was kind of flipped where the Capitals game, you kind of gave up on the game really late and was disappointing. But the Penguins game, you were down two nothing in the third, came back to win it. And that was very exciting. So those two were kind of flipped as far as how they finished the game. But the biggest thing to me, the power play has scored in four straight games. That is looking much better. The way they're scoring their power play goals is a little bit more unique than what we've been able to see from this team. It's a little bit more from behind the net, coming straight out front, not simply passing it around between the two defenders up top and then taking a slap shot and hoping something happens. They are finding newer ways to score on the power play, but the defense is not looking good they're allowing way too many turnovers that turn into goals in their own zone and then the ability the lack of ability to kind of help the goalies out on rebounds there's a lot of rebound goals and a lot of defensive turnovers that are turning into goals the defense is scaring me more than I would like it to the offense does not look great the power play does look pretty good and that's that's I don't know the only real positive I saw out of these couple of games yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head in the New Jersey game. Besides that one goal, I I felt so bad for the goaltenders. They they it looked like they just weren't ready to play, and it looked like they didn't want to play. And it and I'm not even going to blame the back to back because no, you added terrible. two rookies in the lineup. Not everybody was tired. You went back to a twelve six lineup. And it, it got worse, and it was gross. Clifton needs to be put on the bench. Yoki Haru needs to be back in the lineup with Eric Johnson. I don't know what. Granado's fascination with Connor Clifton is, but he's Other been bad recently. Uh, again, that game was just gross. It, it should never happen. I know in the NHL, 82 games, bad games are going to happen like that, but you Not shouldn't be blown bad. out of the water and just look like you don't even care. It was, it was terrible. 
For, I, I mean, the Washington-Pittsburgh game, you hit the nail on the head. I thought the third period for Buffalo was one of their best periods they've had in a very long time. Washington, again, it's an it's a team that has yet to learn how to play with the lead. They did it versus Pittsburgh, but, I mean, they had to battle back, and then they had to withstand the third period and right at the and end there. Barely did. But, uh, barely. But, again, Washington, it was another game where they still have not learned how to keep the lead down the stretch and in late into the third period. And again, but I'll try to end on some positives here. Power play might be fixed. I don't know. It's four straight games, like you said, and it looks like the goals are coming in different ways. I still wish they would move the puck around a lot quicker because it still looks like slow motion sometimes. And you want to get the defense moving. I don't get it. Like in, in basketball, when you're trying to, and I, I again, I get it's different sports, but I play basketball. It's it's easier to, when you want to get the zone moving and get it out of position, you move the ball around a lot. When you're up in hockey and you got the power play, it's five on four for a reason. Move the puck quicker and you can get the goalie moving side to side and you can get those better, better opportunities. But I think the power play might be fixed. I don't know. Keeping Benson up, I don't have to rant. It feels good not to have to rant. They're, they're keeping him up for the rest of the season. I loved it. They were giving, they called up the two right players for the Saturday game and, and um, Rosen and Kulik. I love that. I love giving them a shot. I'm, uh, we're recording before the Monday game, so I'm hoping, hoping they're still in the lineup. I don't know why they wouldn't, but that's exciting. Two fir- former first round picks back in the lineup. But my, my big question here, Phil, and I think we mentioned it a couple times. And I think we talked about this off the podcast when, and it's only 20 games in 21, when you're listening to this, when do we start questioning and asking about coaching? And if Don Granado is the right guy to get them past the development stage into the competition stage, because right now he, he was unbelievable the last two to three years, getting these guys stepping up, you know, tuck head career seasons, middle state of career seasons and so on and so forth. And we've went over that multiple times. And he, he was the right man for that job. It was the right hire. But when do we start questioning if if both he is the right coach for the job and if the GM is the right guy to put pieces around this team? Because currently, it, this few games in, I mean, it, we're, it's almost a quarter of this way through the season at this point, so I don't know how you can say this early in the season. But when do we start questioning if these are the two right guys to get the Sabres over that hump? Or at least just a, a little bit of the hot seat. I mean, right. everything we just mentioned. I mean, to me, the offense still needs help and a lot of it. I think Skinner, Tuck, and Maturka are playing really, really well, and they're your top guys. You expect them to play well. So it's good to see them not in a slump because they are your top players, but nobody else is really stepping up. Middlestat played really well early on, but he's kind of dropped off. He's still there. He's still doing what he does, but he's not really – taking over Cousins, I know, has gone through his injury issues, but he has not really looked all that good. I mean, in the overtime game against the Capitals, I thought his play was really dumb when there was, what, 17-ish seconds left, and he just kind of dumped it into the zone or took a really terrible shot and then went after the puck, even though his other player was deep in the zone, and then that kind of caused the two-on-one that ended the game. I thought he looked... I don't know. I, I was very dumbfounded by what he was doing on that play, and he just doesn't look that good. So, I mean, I think this comes down to coaching, though. Like, these lines need to be figured out. There has to be – they have enough talent on offense that something has to be able to be rearranged. Something has to be able to get this team going on offense, get them sparked. They are simply not scoring enough goals and not scoring near at the rate that we saw them last year. They're kind of back to – 
they look like a, a defensive team. Like they look like a team that is trying like the Islanders that's trying to win three, two, two, one, which they are not built for. They just do not have the team to be able to pull something like that off. This offense just, they're not clicking. And like you just mentioned, how much of that does just comes down to coaching. He has to find a way to unlock this offense. The defense is looking very soft in front of the net on these rebounds. They're also having a lot of defensive turnovers. That is another thing that coaching needs to work on. And another big point that really didn't come up too, too much in these three games other than the Devils game. But again, I don't think that's on Comrie or Levi. The team just did not show up for that one, which again, kind of comes down to coaching. But I think UPL needs to start playing more consistently and just more back-to-back games. I think he has proven that he is this team's number one goalie currently that they have on the roster. And this three-man rotation that they have going does not allow any one of the goalies to really get in the zone and play really, really well for a for an extended period of time. And they have to stop with this one game in, one game out kind of mentality. Like, let UPL go multiple, multiple games. Like, let him go, you know, five, six, seven, eight, and see how he does. And if he has a bad game, then you turn to someone. But these three active goalies and not allowing what seems like their number one goalie in UPL to really just roll out there night in and night out is another thing that seems to be on coaching and seems to be hurting them in the long run. Yeah, that's what we mentioned last show. And that's what we worried about all off season was when you have three goalies, you don't really have one goalie. And I think their plan was Devin Levi and then he got hurt and then UPL stepped up. So they want to give UPL some time, but it still goes down to, I still think they need to figure out this goalie situation and get down to two active goalies. Otherwise, you're just chasing your tail. There's there's not enough. It goes back to what we said last year where they had four goalies at one point. You, you don't get the practice time because two of the guys are sharing one net. You don't get guys that can go on a roll where you're playing two, three games at a time. And you're just going back to back to back to back to back. It's, it's mind numbing. And it's, it's another coaching slash GM decision where they went into the season with three goalies and you don't really have the one. And I... I do wish, and we said it in the last show, that they would hand the reins over to UPL for at least, you know, see what he's got. See if he can he hold up. He seems to be I mean, your best goalie. Agreed. He's been your best goalie. But, you know, it's still, what, 20 games in, 21 when everybody's listening to this. So we'll see what happens. They're not that far out of playoffs. So they, they have a ways to go. They just, uh, once again, for like the fourth straight show, string some wins together they for finally, God's sake. They finally got to three games with points. They got to three with points. Yeah. With point. but not even wins, wins, but just, just points. <laughs> and he wins. String three or four wins together and see where you're and at in the standings. You get to have a three game win streak the entire season. That is not going to cut it. And for a guy whose first love was Buffalo Sabres, I said it so much. This is this is hurting me because I really thought this was. Uh, again, they look like a team that has taken like a step tr- back for sure. They have, and that's what we were kind of worried about with the offense and the goalies good. and everything. And everything's coming to fruition, and I don't like it. So, Phil, <laughs> what I do like here, we'll move on to our final segment. We got a lot to talk about here, and we have a surprise new segment that everybody else at home can play along with us as long as you track it yourselves. Weekly pick'em for the NLL is coming to the BSC. I know a lot of places do it. We're going to do it. Producer Pat has been working hard on the graphics. So every Wednesday, this week it's going to be out on Thursday because we're still Wednesday shows. But every Wednesday from here on out, well, next week here on out, we will be posting our weekly NLL picks. So every game on the NLL schedule, each week, me, 
Phil and producer Pat are going to make our picks. We're going to keep track of our overall record. And at the end of the season, end of the regular season and into playoffs, we're going to crown a BSC champion. So if you want to play along with us, you can, you know, make your your picks on our, our pages on uh, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you want to put your picks yourselves. You can keep track of that because we're not doing it for you, but you can let us know. Just no lying. Just no lying. But Phil, another fun little added element to the NLL season that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, when we used to have our BSC Fancy game, you whooped me, uh, I believe, Again both and years. again and again and again. Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy and excited to have something, a new challenge that hopefully I can at least keep up with. Honestly, you got your picks out uh, to our little group chat before I did, and I feel like some of my picks were influenced in the opposite way that I'm trying to pick like <laughs> upsets that you don't have simply because I want to, one. yeah, I need, I need the, uh, if we constantly have the same picks, that doesn't really help anyone. So I'm like, I was looking at some of the close games. I was like, ah, we'll see if, uh, this team can pull off an upset and maybe I get a little extra bonus point there. And hopefully, I mean, we'll see how it works for the first couple of games. If not, I might just have to go back to, uh, <laughs> picking correctly. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, some of these close games though, I feel like if it's, to me, kind of like a 50-50 toss-up. Whatever you pick, I might just sit there and pick the opposite and hope hope it works in my favor. That has not worked well for you in the past. No, but, uh, you know, you got to take chances. So we'll go over the final preseason game for the Buffalo Bandits, and uh, that happened in Six Nations on Saturday. They actually won this one 12-11 in overtime. Epic comeback. They were down 4-1 after the first down 9-3 after halftime, and then they were actually down 10-5 entering the fourth quarter until they tied it 11-11 going into the final, or I'm sorry, going into overtime where they won it. And uh, goal scorers in this one, Byrne and Frazier both had Hatties. Watts, uh, Brandon Robinson, and Nanakoke each chipped in one, and Cloutier had two for himself. Now, this is the big piece that I was looking for in this game. Again, we didn't really watch it. We didn't go all the way out there because it was the holiday weekend. But... Matt Vince did play, and he played 52 minutes until he was relieved by the one and only Delvin Shanahan. Now, I'm not saying that he won the backup goaltender position, but this was a big indication because what we heard from Steve Dietrich was in the Georgia game, the final preseason game, it was kind of going to be more of a dress rehearsal going in what the team would look like. And it, it, to me, whoever was going to come in and relieve Matt Vince was to me going to be the backup. So for everybody out there was preaching nonstop all offseason that Steve Orleman's coming in here, he's the new backup, and blah, 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 he's the goalie of the future, and blah, 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 and you and me are on the show going, don't count out Delvin, Delvin Shanahan. Like, th- he could be the backup. And I, I think with everything on paper right now and everything that we're seeing, Shanahan has the edge. And to me, at least, after this final preseason game, I was right. So I'm tapping myself on the back. Yeah, agreed. I also was right there with you. Did not like everyone kind of hopping on the Orleman train right away, especially because, again, Shanahan's been here much longer. He's been part of the organization. He's been around all these players. He's been around Matt Vince. He's been around the coaching staff. So they're not just going to throw a player like that aside unless Orleman truly won out the battle in preseason. And from everything we saw and everything we heard, it was pretty much 50-50. They liked both of them, thought they both came in pretty evenly. But unless Orleman was going to actually outperform Shanahan, which I don't think he did in the preseason to me. And I think to you as well, it was always going to be Shanahan that had the upper edge because he's been part of the organization for much longer than Orleman has. He's been around the team. He's been around everything. So you're not just going to 
throw a player like that away that has the chemistry with these teams. I mean, I know backup goalie seems like a weird thing to kind of talk about chemistry, but they do have an important job on the bench as far as, you know, letting these players out of the gate, making sure that there isn't the extra man on and everything. So they do have an important part of the game, even when they're not playing and having that kind of continuity and just being around the team a little bit longer, I think gives him the edge headed into the season for that kind of situation. And I'm happy that he won it. I like Shanahan. I do like Orleman. I'm happy that he's staying in the organization, it looks like. But I do think, to me, Shanahan still has the edge between the two. So, Phil, we will. Uh, the preseason is closed. Also, Byrne had fun- uh, four goals because he also got the OT winner. Did he have four? He had four, yes. Are you sure? Because I counted here. Three? Yeah, six, you only got to 11. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You're right. <laughs> Byrne had the overtime. You're right. Good call. Yeah, you're right. right. That was a slip on my mind. Good call. Four goals by Byrne. No big deal. I can't count. You shouldn't (laughs) let me do this. But uh, yeah, the preseason's over. We're looking forward to the regular season starting. And no way to start that and a better way to start that. Then the final rosters were due on Monday at 3 p.m. Bandits were one of the first ones to have that out. So... We're going to go over it real quick. I think we should go over the players that are currently hurt first. Uh, on Over the weekend, they released their practice squad and their players that are hurt. First off, Max Adler. He is on the protected players list, which is you don't have a contract, but your rights are still with the team. We kind of went over this all offseason where he's not RFA status eligible. He's not UF, uh, UFA status eligible. He doesn't have enough years built in to have either of those uh, um part of his, you know, contract negotiations. His rights are just with Buffalo. And from everything we've been reading and seeing, the chances of him playing this year are still up in the air. He's currently not able to commit, so he's not on the active rosters on the protected players list. Another more players were went down and they're on the pup list, physically unable to perform list. Zach Belter, the rookie, Adam Bomberry, Frank Brown, and Bryce Sweeting, who was rumored and has been told that he is likely out for the whole year. Adam Bomberry, when it went over, it's at least three months. Frank Brown still has yet to clear, and Belter hopefully sooner than later. And then for the practice squad, Evan Constantinopoulos. I'm going to do that all his entire career, Phil. I don't care. Alex Q, Sam LaRue, and Christian Watts are round up your practice squad. Yeah, I think... Uh... The big surprise there, there's a few. One, you will forget because <laughs> just because he isn't not part of this list anymore, uh, Gutterding looks like he is no longer on any of these lists uh, officially um, for the Buffalo Bandits. I believe though. he's still protected players oh, list. I don't know if that gosh. carries over. It's still on their website and their roster, and I still have him as a protected player because they haven't released his rights, I don't think. But yeah, I think think he's still part of the organization, but I I can't confirm that. All right. Well, hopefully Larry the Goldfish will be in attendance for some of these games. He's but... swimming around, <laughs> wonderful, and hiding in his little castle. <laughs> as far as, yeah, everything, practice squad and everything kind of goes, I think Belter is unfortunate to start. I mean, like you said, he's supposed to be hopefully healthy sooner than later, but still kind of unfortunate to see a young player like that not able to possibly start the season right away. He might still make it for that first week with them having the bye week right away. So hard to say, but unfortunate to see him even injured at all at this point. And then the practice squad, I think, is very interesting to me. I I don't know if there's necessarily players that are missing from it due to 
all of the players on the pup slash IR. So I think it's fine. I don't think it's like, again, I don't think think players are necessarily missing, but it's interesting. I mean, having three goalies, four technically goalies on this team, part of the active roster with Evan C, Steve Orleman, Devlin Shanahan, and Matt Vince all part of the roster in some way. Alex Q, I think, is a very interesting practice squad addition. I mean, good for him. I think going into this, you and I thought he was going to be a camp body and that's it. But again, we talked about it a lot. We know even when we say that they're simply a camp body, it's an opportunity for them to prove that they are more than that. And clearly the bandits saw something in him that proved that. So good to see that a player that kind of comes in to a you know, off-season workout and gets the opportunity can kind of show that you can still earn that spot, even if you're kind of brought in on, you know, who knows what, and you're fighting a lot of these other names and players to kind of make that position. Sam LaRue, once again, staying with the team. And then Christian Watts, a player that I've been keeping a close eye on. Good to see him on the practice squad. I don't get your life savings unless he plays in a game, but good to see that he might have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, if they come up with the same forward injuries that they did last year, I'm going to lose all my money. Uh, <laughs> that's going to happen. But I, I mean, if we definitely have noticed once they put out this, who listens to our show and who doesn't. Because if you had listened to our show, none of these actual 21 players that made the active lineup and the active roster are that surprising. I mean, you got eight forwards and Buchanan, Byrne, Cloutier, Frazier, McCulley, Nanakoke, Robinson, and Smith. Your transition is McKay, Solver, and Weiss, and your defensemen who are four or seven of them, Justin Martin, Carter McKenzie, Steve Priolo, Justin Robinson, Dylan Robinson, Matt Spanger, and Cam Wires. And then the three goalies, which we said on the last show, Steve Orleman, Delvin Shanahan, and Matt Vince. We said on the last show that their plan going in was to keep all four. Their plan going into the into the training camp in the offseason was either Shanahan or Orleman, according to Dietrich. But because of the injuries and because of how well they were playing in the in training camp and preseason, they were going to go into camp and break camp with four goaltenders. So if you had been listening to our show, this shouldn't come as a surprise. So seeing everybody comment, oh, four goalies, three active goalies, that's so shocking. It's not shocking if you listen to our show. So again, that's a little shout out to everybody that's not listening. But <laughs> I think it will be interesting if and when they do start getting healthy, when Belter gets back, if Bomberry can get back, if Brown can get cleared, if if some of these other players get healthy and, and if you see some moves, how long into the season can they afford and can they have three active goalies? One of them is going to be a healthy scratch each week. It's guaranteed. You're not going to, we're not going to get our dream of goaltenders on both ends of the bench, Phil. It's sadly, it's not going to happen. <laughs> one of them is going to be a healthy scratch. There's going to be one other healthy scratch likely from the forward group. It's probably going to be McCauley or Robinson in that group. You're not going to have eight forwards more than likely. So, it will be interesting to see how long they can carry on with this three goaltender experiment in the active roster. So it, it is something worth monitoring, but make sure you're listening to our show because if you were, this wouldn't be shocking. Yeah, I mean, staying on that topic real quick, just as a quick question for you, I guess. Who do you think is the first I don't know, odd man out, I guess? I mean, we'll assume that Belzer is the closest to return because that is what we kind of have seen and heard that he is likely the first to return from that list and if he's the one to return who do you think is the first odd man out do you think they instantly go to a goalie so they can keep the rest of their active roster there or do you think a player is 
on the bubble that they would kind of kick out first? I think likely scenario here would be I don't I don't think they would be willing to do that with the goalies right off the bat. I honestly think that if they're going to roll these goalies, eventually it's going to be either a trade or one of them is going to accept going down to the practice squad and then you're going to have two goalies down there. But I think the most likely outcome is you do see Alex Q get released. You see Carter McKenzie released and then signed to the practice squad. And then you see Belter onto the the, the active roster. That would be my likeliest guess, but that's, that's also what I had way. on my uh, <laughs> predict the bandits roster. So uh, I can only do so much. Yeah, that's what that's what I mean, just. Based on everything we can physically see, Based looking on the at this names last, paper, yeah, that's yeah. what I would assume as well. And again, we talked about it a lot, but I mean, with these injuries, it gives the team an opportunity to look have an extended look at a lot of these players, including goalies. But it 100%. also allows them an extended look to trade some of these players. I mean, yep. I know we saw him cut right away, and I am slipping his name. What is his name? That, Bloomberg's. The, what? Bloomberg's. No, the the bandits cut him. Carte, is that right? Duncan Carte? Yes, Duncan That Carte, he was yes. cut and immediately signed to another team's roster and then immediately cut right after. I don't even know if he had a chance to really One perform for them. Um, but, I mean, that's just it, though. I mean, a lot of these players could have been cut and then other teams would have scooped them, but this allows the Bandits the opportunity to hold on to these players, hold on to their rights, and then if there are any injuries in week one or the early part of the season, as some of these other players get healthier it allows the bandits a little bit more time to talk to other teams about a potential trade or figure out what they want to do. But based on what we can see here and exactly what you said, I think Alex Q would be the first one out and then McKenzie possibly down to practice squad, depending on what they're looking for from that game. And then Belzer into the active roster. So it looks like they can do some early maneuvering without having to lose too, too much right away with this team. And it looks like they could be set with this kind of roster for, the first few months of the season, at least. And if we know anything about Dietrich, he loves to make magic happen with this lineup and the different lists that are available to him. But we'll move on to the final segment here. It is the Bandits Bold Prediction part of our offseason, the last part of our offseason before we dive into real NLL action that starts on Friday. Very excited to start watching multiple games. I think there's five games this coming weekend that I'm going to have to watch and uh, going to love every minute of it until we're into late week 12 and 13 and 14 and I'm watching seven games a week. But Phil, Bandits Bold Predictions, I'll kick this one off. My first bold prediction for the Buffalo Bandits this year is by year's end, the Bandits will have the following. 140 goal scorer, Josh Byrne. 330 goal scorers with Dane, Nanako, and Cloutier. They're going to have 120 goal scorer in Frazier, and then they're going to have four 10 goal scorers, Bucky, McKay, McCulley, and Dylan Robinson, because I think Dylan Robinson is the next Dean McKay. Surprised you didn't give it to Brandon. I was thinking about it, but I... Favor McCulley over Brandon currently. That's fair. And I, I, I think Brandon can get there. I think he just needs players. Brandon just needs two games. <laughs> I mean, he had that four goal game. He could games just need two boom. games. Yes, it's possible. Two five uh, goal performances. He's there. <laughs> Airburn 2.0, I think I called him. <laughs> oh my gosh, he was so good. Um, I like it. I like it. And I guess I can tie my similar-ish one into this. I don't know. I'm not doing I'm not doing that math that quickly. That's that's a lot of math to add up that I don't want to add up right now. But 
Uh, I will wrap this into the fact that one of my bold predictions is the Bandits will be the highest scoring team this year and pass 250 goals on the season. The Bandits last year were fifth in the league with only 215 goals, but we know how many injuries they had. Their offense was not what they were pretty much the entire season. The Thunderbirds last year were number one, just beating out the Rock with 238, so only 12 goals away from 250, but still a very difficult goal total to get to. But the Bandits' offense can remain healthy. We saw what they were able to do in playoffs. They were averaging 14.5 goals per game against some incredibly talented teams and goaltenders. If you expand that to 18 games, it equals about 261 goals. So I don't think it'll be easy, but if you're predicting them to have an insane offensive year, I think if they stay healthy, I will agree with you and say that they are the number one scoring team in the league and can do it with over 250 goals on the year. It's going to be interesting to track because I have Toronto. I know you do. I know Yes, and uh, that took a bit of a hit because Schreiber's starting the season on the IR, so not a great start. (laughs) So my number two here, and I was a big fan of this guy when they drafted him, and I was a big fan of him and getting signed in this offseason is Cam Wires. I have him leading all rookies in cause turnovers this year. And I also have him being named first team all defense at the end of the year. So not only is he going to be one of the best rookie defensemen in the entire league by being named the first team, but he's also going to lead all of those rookies in cause turnovers because he's a big man that gets the ball out of the opposing team's stick and gets it to the fours that can make magic happen. So that's my number two Cam Wires going all out on the defensive end. I think that would be massive for the bandits if he uh I like what you did that there. good. Yeah, thank you. Um I think I know he's starting injured slightly. We will see how it goes, but I think Belter also might have uh something to say about that uh that bold prediction. We will see. I think they're both again very similar. We talked about it a ton. They both love cause turnovers, they're both big players. I think they profile very similarly. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how those two end up kind of going throughout the season and see their development and progression. But if they can both come out and be incredible defensemen for this team that already has a loaded roster, I think it'd be huge if two rookie defensemen can really step up. We saw it with Dylan Robinson a couple of years ago. So I think it'd be massive for this team if they can pull off that kind of bold prediction. Phil, your number two bold prediction for the Buffalo Bandits 23-24 season. Number two kind of goes back to your number one. I have one year... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I tried to transition it. That just went terribly. So I Not will so keep easy, this one. <laughs> uh, I, I knew what I was trying to say, but I, there were too many words to throw out there. So long story short, I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. I have Fraser getting to 40 goals this year. You have Josh being the one 40-goal scorer. You have Fraser down at 20. I was trying to mention something about that, but I could not get it to come out clearly. But in 2022, when he was healthy, he had 32. He was only eight goals away from 40 in that season. This year, so far in preseason, he led the entire team with eight goals in three preseason games. If you kind of predict that out, I think it was 48 goals if you really project that throughout an 18-game season. But the biggest thing with him is he's coming in healthy. He's coming in ready to go. And again, even those eight goals, I know it's preseason. You're going to get up against potentially backups. But still, eight goals led the entire team in preseason. He looks like he is ready for this season. He looks healthy. He looks good. And he was only eight goals away in 2022. So I think he has the ability, he has the talent 
to put up 40 goals in a season. And with him coming in healthy, he looks ready to go in preseason. I think he can possibly pull it off. His biggest thing for me is going to be health. If he can stay healthy, he can get there because he has an unbelievable shot. It's just all about health. If he can stay healthy, I could see it. It's it's simply about will he stay on the field. My number three here, Phil, and I, I know we talked very briefly stole. before we started recording that I stole this from you, but I got to the document first. So, haha, Dane Smith will finish the season with 100 assists, which will be the first player ever to reach that mark and break his own record from last year of 96. I, he could have done it last year. I think it was the Toronto game, right? Where he pretty much got shut out and didn't get any, you know, generate any kind of offense where they just got blown out. So if that swings a bit, he could have gotten over hundred last year. I think with his play style now, the years of him scoring 50 and and the the record 72, which I have falling this year, you know, Jeff D that he was able to do that. Yes, but I think he's more of a distributor and a, a playmaker now rather than a goal scorer. He's still going to put up 30 goals. I have him for over 30 goals, but he's more of a get the ball to the open man, get the ball to the guys that can you know score those goals and fresh on a five-year deal. What better way to start that off than 100 assists on a season? Yeah, I mean, again, this all kind of coincides with even me thinking they're going to be the highest scoring team. And if this team can stay healthy, like we saw in the playoffs, you just yep. got a little Scary. bit of a taste. I mean, they got hot exactly when they needed to, but you got a little bit of taste of what this team could have been the entire year last year had they stayed healthy, which they did not. So this year, if they can stay healthy, I think Dane has all the ability in the world to get a hundred assists and I know I said it was crazy that he got 72 goals, and it's just, I think it's crazy to see the way his game has developed. I mean, he used to yep. be that goal-scoring machine who would also have He used to be a defender assists. to start his career. <laughs> right. And then he went to goal-scoring with some assists, breaking single-season goal-scoring records, and now he's all about assists, while at the same time, he was still able last year, oftentimes when the offense was banged up, he would take over a game and score four or five goals. So he still has that ability but he has really just kind of refined his own game to be a little bit more of a setup man who can still score when he needs to, if he needs to, but absolutely love it. And I think he will have all the ability in the world to get there. And I think it'd be very exciting to see that 100 as the new record. 96 is fun, but I mean, another four would have been much better. Phil, your number three. My number three, uh, this one's going to be, <laughs> it's bold for a reason. It's going to be tough. Especially with the new form. I don't know if the new format makes it more difficult or easier. I think it makes it interesting for the Bandits because they have the the couple games that they have to play. Multiple teams are going to be tough. But my last bold prediction is that the Bandits will only lose three games this season. I have them going fifteen and three, which sounds mind blowing. But in 2018-2019 season, the Bandits went fourteen and four. In the shortened season, the Bandits were seven and four before it got cut short. In 21-22, the Bandits were 14-4, and four, and last season, the Bandits were 14-4. and four. So the last three full seasons that the Bandits have had, they have been 14-4 and four every single year. I'm just asking them to win one more game. You know, it's not really that much uh, for them to do. Just win one more. I mean, you've gone three straight full seasons at 14-4. and four. Just make it 15-3. and three. Uh, It's going to be really, really difficult to only lose three games an entire NLL season, but... I think they can do it. I think they have the team to do it, and I'm just asking for one more win than they've gotten the last three years. So it's not asking too much. 
hey, if you flip that Albany game from week one last year they into had. a W, you got it. So I mean, they're close. But I kind they're of, uh, I kind of had an honorable mention here because I thought this one was cool, and I didn't know what yours were until going into this, and it kind of ties into your number one here. Bandits will have two games where they score twenty or more goals. So that will need to happen for you to get to 250 uh, goals on the year. Uh, so that'll help. Two games of over 20. Uh, duh, that's gonna happen. That's gonna help uh, big time. Yeah, I know we are really big on this team's defense. They play incredible. They have a really solid defense. You have Vince back there, really good. But it's interesting to see that you and I are both very, very high on this offense. I don't think we've really talked about it Hard all that much until these bold predictions. I don't think we've really gone over how we feel about a healthy offense coming into this season. I mean, a lot of this has been about Vince. A lot of this has been about the defensive rookies coming into the season, but we haven't really talked about how much we like this offense coming into the season healthy. And clearly by our bold predictions, we are all about this offense putting up some big numbers and big games this year. Yeah. I mean, with everybody back and what they look like in the playoffs when they were fully healthy, it's hard not to be a fan of it. And I think we didn't talk about it as much because one, there's not as many new players and new faces to it. Two, there wasn't any real threat of any of them going away. And three, we already knew how good they were once they were healthy. So there wasn't really, it's one of those things where you're that good. You don't really have to talk about it because we already know you're that good. But yeah, these, these definitely reinforce that, you know, they are one of the best (laughs) offensive units in the league yeah and i am excited to see it we're so close we're so close so close phil is there anything else to this show before we shut it down for another week no i'm just well, uh, less than a week less than a excited week. excited for the nll to kick it back off i know we don't get to see the bandits right away but we got a banner raising coming soon enough and the city of buffalo could use a little bit of uh excitement and celebration of a championship team the Bills are struggling. The Sabres are struggling. We uh, we need something positive. So I'm excited that it's only a couple of weeks away to raise that banner. I wish they would redo all the banners at this point because it's been so long that some of those other ones have been up there. I feel like they could use a little bit of a facelift, but that's not gonna that's not gonna happen. But I'm excited for the one. I don't think I, I couldn't remember. Somebody asked me this earlier uh, today. Actually, if I was at the 09 one when they won in 08, I don't remember if I was or not so I guess I will say that this is the first banner raising I will remember very distinctly so excited about that I mean we haven't really seen one so I'm very excited to see what it's going to be like and I hope they do a good job yeah I'm excited to see what that whole ceremony is going to be about because knowing them they're gonna they're gonna go all out for it but yeah I think the only other thing I got to add is I was on talking Buffalo Monday night after the Sabres game so it's live on Tuesday so I guess live Monday night, you can watch Tuesday if you missed it. So go watch that one. I'm probably wearing the same shirt I'm wearing now because <laughs> I'm going to go watch the Sabres game and then record that with Pat uh, Moran of Talking Buffalo. But yeah, this is the last show before we start, start talking about some NLL action because next Monday we'll go over the weekend review and then that following Friday it's the preview of the first game for the Buffalo Bandits in their their pursuit to defend their title it's uh it's hard to win one, but it's even harder to win it back to back. So on our next show, you know, we won't we'll take a look around the league with the NFL because we don't have to deal with any Buffalo Bills action. We got some Sabres games to talk about. Uh we'll we'll go over what was the week one of the NLL season, what we learned around there, including the Albany 
Firewolves who will be playing in week one. So if you're looking for a game to watch, watch them. I believe they're taking on Vegas in Vegas Friday at 10 o'clock. So it's going to be a late game. If you want to watch it the next morning, it's on ESPN plus. So get that subscription highly and highly encourage it. But Phil next Monday, first Monday show since June. And I'm very excited about it because we actually have some NLL action to talk about. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo sports collective. Follow along with us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Buffalo Sports Collective and on X and Blue Sky at Buffalo Sports Co. Visit our website at buffalosportscollective.com. Subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us a review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye-bye.